The podcast The Matrix is a system, listener. One that's based on experience, skill sets, and you. There are other hosts, but what I'm telling you is that when it's time to dodge the billing bullets for hosting your entire podcast library online, you won't need to. Plug into the real-world podcast hosting solution now at podcastermatrix.com. That's podcastermatrix.com. In the world of comic book storytelling, some tales are so massively important they require being told outside of their normal ongoing titles. Whether revolving around a single character, a team of heroes, or encompassing the fate of the universe, these stories are as important as the rest of the books that come out monthly. The following is no exception. Bridging the gap between comics and audio entertainment media, my big fat poll list is proud to present a podcast mini series. You've heard of the Avengers, the Justice League, the X Men, Teen Titans, Guardians of the Galaxy, Defenders, the Legion of Superheroes, even the Watchmen. But what if we told you that there was another team of colorfully clad heroes that you've never heard of who are equally as influential to comic books and the industry as a whole? Who is this mystery team, you ask? Archie Comics' very own stable of masked heroes, the Mighty Crusaders. Join us now for part four of our special five-part podcast miniseries, where we'll dive into the critically acclaimed but short-lived Impact Comics run of the early 90s, discover the now-legendary creators that drove the line, unearth the premature demise of Impact Comics, and briefly examine the market boom of the decade as the Impact era begins. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. To our fourth episode of our five-part history of the Mighty Crusaders. As always, I am Dr. Impact, and I am your host. Today is very special because we are actually joined by uh, a newcomer to the My Big Fat Polist podcast world. I would like to welcome Dragonus Prime to the show. How's it going? I'm uh, ready to uh, transform and roll out. <laughs> Dragonus Prime, do, do you mind? I, your name is very, very, very cool. I love the sound of it and the the majesty of it. Do you mind for, for the purposes and the remainder of this episode if I just refer to you as Prime? Oh, by all means. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. For those who, who don't know... There is a family starting to come together here. So so I, Dr. Impact, am actually in my civilian life. I am the son of Monster Kid. And uh, Dragonus Prime here is my brother. Before we really get into anything, mm -hmm. since this is your first episode with us, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your comic book background and, and you know your interests in that? Well, my comic book background goes back to when I first learned how to read. Monster Kid, our father, yeah. would set us down. I don't know if you remember when we were ankle biters. Mm. And he would slap down the two comics. He would slap down a Green Lantern, two issues of Green Lantern, and we'd each choose one. And, you know, I was five or six years old, but I grabbed those suckers up and I read them like crazy. And that's practically where I learned how to read, was reading those Green Lantern, Green Arrow comics. Sure, sure. And then over the years, it's just kind of exploded out there from uh, Spider-Man, as any kid. Spider-Man 2099, I was huge into the 2099 era. Was that a big uh, big run for you? Spider-Man 2099 was so influential to me. It was the first comic book I have ever had on a pull list. Oh, really? Oh, I, I don't think I even knew that. Yeah, it was the first one over at uh, the old Moe's Comics down ah. in the city. 
Ah. That Monster Kid had to buy for me on many occasions. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was my very first pull list comic. And then it, it went on from there, from Batman, as the, the, the standard superheroes. Um, at one time, I'm ashamed to admit, but even I will admit mistakes, I bought a few Super Pro. <laughs> NFL Super Pro from Marvel? NFL Super Pro from Marvel, yes. Do you still have them? Somewhere, or no, maybe I traded those in. Cause... <laughs> I was going to say, because if you want, maybe we should do a whole episode on NFL Super Pro. Do you think there'd be anybody that would care? You could uh, fill about a five-minute <laughs> Facebook video. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then, as all you know, developed on from there, impact was a big part of my life, mainly because I wanted to be cool like my older brother. The image era, that whole 90s era was really when I started to get into the comic book line, uh, when the creators started to really come out. Like, I didn't really pick up on it then because I was so young, but the, the images just popped off. And as I've gotten older and as I've, as we kind of segue to the next point, as I became more of an artist. Mm. And I started to study the artists, the, the the ones that drew these. I was able to figure out how they were able to call in my desires to read these mm -hmm. books. I, I've started drawing my own comics. Nothing to any huge success, but I've got a few published books out there, which I'm quite proud of. I am currently working on a untitled project, I'll say, with mm. a friend of mine. I don't want to say anything too much yet because I don't know when it's coming, but sure, we are sure. very Don't want to jump the it. gun on it. Exactly. Yeah, but other than to say it is coming. And uh, now headed into the fan film area of my comic book love. That's right. You are working on the Mighty Crusaders fan film. I discussed that with Mr. X in our previous episode. Uh, the Red Circle Investigations, a Mighty Crusaders fan film. And in our civilian identities, you are also uh, a member of that film. I'm uh, one of the producers and the designer on it. Right, right. So we won't take up a whole lot of time on that because we did just talk about that in the previous episode, and we'll go into that in, in future episodes, I'm sure. But what are, are you reading anything today? Do you still read comics today? I do occasionally read a few. Uh, I read, I religiously keep up on Daredevil. Daredevil oh, is currently okay. my f favorite superhero. Okay. Um, the new, the current Chip, Zadaz yes. I can't pronounce his name, Zardarsky or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's been a fantastic run. It's been really interesting seeing him uh, deal with trying to not be Daredevil. Oh, okay. It's been a very good run. I've also been keeping up on the new Transformers line as synonymous by my name. Uh, yes, Prime. it makes sense now. Dragonus Prime. Okay. The Transformers Ghostbusters crossover because who doesn't love your 80s yep, yep. mashing up together? Yep. That's really about it. I'm not I'm really a bit I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit behind on comics and I'm uh, ashamed to admit that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Now that you've you've joined us for an episode of My Big Fat Pull List, you know, you you can always check out past episodes and this is goes for anyone, anyone that's behind. You can check out past episodes of the show to get caught up on anything that we've talked about there. But also now that you're kind of come around here, maybe borrow some stuff from the rest of the crew and get caught up on a few things. Oh, I'm already making a list. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I am curious. You said that, you know, you studied a lot of the artists of the 90s and of that time. Who are the artists that really jumped out for you? Who are the artists that you took influence from? As I was more getting into drawing more in the early to mid-2000s, the ones that really reached out to me were Ed McGinnis at the first. Mm -hmm. I loved his art. I loved his anime-esque art style. And uh, Andy Kubert. Oh, yeah, sure. Andy Kubert, like circa X-Men Andy Kubert, or Andy Kubert, Captain America, Kazar, and years later? The Captain America, Kazar era, actually. Okay, okay. I, I really loved his run on Captain America, and then I, it, it actually drove me to go back and buy all the Kazar stuff. Oh, okay, because okay. I loved him and Mark Wade working together. I thought they were a fantastic team. Yeah, Mark Wade. Yeah, yeah. anytime those two were together, that right. was great, yeah. Um, and then more recently, uh, Ryan Otley. Who drew uh, Invincible? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and I loved his art. I loved his kind of again in that same vein as Ed, Ed McGinnis, that animated style. Have you checked out his Spider-Man run? Just as a side, uh... I've flipped through a few things. Okay. I haven't had okay. a chance to read them yet, but I mean, his Spider-Man's phenomenal. Okay, yeah, you should check it out if you like his stuff. I, you, I think sure. you'd probably dig it. Yeah. Going back to something that you had said a little bit earlier, in all of the stuff that you were exposed to in the early 90s there, you mentioned impact. Did I? Now, <laughs> coincidentally, that's what we're here to talk about. Am I correct then in assuming that that 
along with with myself, was that your first experience with the Mighty Crusaders characters? Uh, yeah, actually, I had thought those were brand new superheroes when I first saw those comics. Sure, sure. Well, and and we were young. I mean, you right. know, it's the early '90s. We were young, and they hadn't published any of them since the Red Circle line faded in the uh, early to mid '80s. So, you know, of course, by the time our generation was buying stuff in the early '90s, of course, they would seem like brand new properties. Was there any uh, that you really got into at that time, or did you get into it more? Like, you, you were exposed to it when you were the younger, but got into it more later. I remember reading the Fly comics. Okay. And loving the Fly character, mainly because I was on a huge Spider-Man kick at that time, and he was a very Spider-Man-esque character. Yeah, he was during that run, yeah. And then, of course, S.H.I.E.L.D. always caught my eye with the red, white, and blue. It's kind of hard to not notice a flag running at you with a fist. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. The other ones, like, don't get me wrong, I, re- I recognized Comet, um, Web, Black Hood, all of them. They didn't really call to me as much as those two at that time. Sure, okay. Um, the only one that really got my attention to was an obscure one from the Crusaders. Oh? Captain Commando. Oh, sure, yes. He always reminded me of a superhero G.I. Joe, which at that era, being a 8, 9, 10-year-old, what have you, I was huge into G.I. Joes and playing with all of those. Sure, yeah. So seeing a, a G.I. Joe-looking superhero play with my superheroes that I just really got into was really cool to see. Have you since then gone back and reinvestigated those books and, and read those books again later in life? I have actually gone back recently to help get prepared for... The fan film. Oh, wow. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've actually been rereading all the Impact stuff, mainly because that was the ones I fell in love with, and I wanted to get in on the ones that I loved first. Sure. Were there any other incarnations from any of the other years that you looked into? Uh, Did you do the Red Circle stuff ever in the The, back issue bins? or or... The DC Red Circle stuff I did. When it came back. Oh, the 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 J. Michael Straczynski stuff. Okay. I, I liked that. I didn't like it as much as Impact. Mm-hmm. I think they had a few missteps here and there. Inferno was just kind of plain. Okay. He kind of bugged me. Otherwise, it was, I wanted to read these characters, and this was a way to read these characters. A new way to do it, what? sure. Yeah. So is that the only other run you never did? The the new Crusaders stuff or any of the Dark Circle or, or any of that? No, I had actually never done those. Okay. No, that's that's fine. That's fine. That's what the, this miniseries is about. And we will get into all of the J. Michael Straczynski DC Red Circle line, as well as the New Crusaders and Dark Circle and everything of the last 20 to 25 years in our next episode. But for this episode, we are here to talk about Impact Comics. We are here to talk about that historic run of these characters when they released out to DC in the 90s. And that's why you're you're here, because that was your first introduction. And that's where we, we want to ask all of you, Were the Impact Comics your introduction to the Mighty Crusaders characters? If so, just go to our website at mybigfatpolllist.com and let us know. Historical Impact So as the 80s were winding down and the Spectrum line of Crusaders comics ended up not taking off and Archie kind of got cold feet, at that time DC Comics had contacted Archie, they had been looking for some time to start a line of comics that would be not for kids necessarily. They wouldn't be dumbed down in any way, but they would be all ages friendly. And I think that there's, you know, sometimes a disconnect between kid friendly and all ages friendly. All ages friendly does not necessarily mean that it's just for kids. It just means that, you know, they maybe hold off on the the gore and the language and the extremes. But they had been looking for a line for some time to bring kids, more kids, into comics. Years prior, they had approached Archie about leasing these characters from them. And at the time, Archie was starting to prep Spectrum, so they they declined and said no. Then DC started working on the Thunder Agents. The Thunder Agents always seem to pop up whenever you're talking about the Mighty Crusaders, because every time somebody goes to lease these characters, they're looking at either them or the Thunder Agents. It's one of the two. And so once again, here we are, they're looking at the Thunder Agents and they're trying to get them. And of course, that that doesn't work because the Thunder Agents have been embroiled in this bizarre copyright debacle, it seems, for years. No one, it seems, can 
find out whether or not those characters are in public domain, or if they're not in public domain, who actually holds the license to them. No one can seem to figure out. And in fact, if anyone listening has any info on it, please share it with us. Go to our website at mybigfatpullist.com or go to one of our social media sites on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and share the info with us there because we, we would love to, to learn that ourselves if, if anyone knows who actually holds the rights to the Thunder Agents. But uh, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, as that started to kind of fall apart, that was when Spectrum fell apart at Archie. So DC went back to Archie and said, well, hey, what do you think? And the initial idea, and I don't know if you remember this, Prime, from from when you were a kid, if you remember seeing them like this, but the initial idea was to get comics back into the direct newsstand and not into the direct market. I do remember that. By that point, by the early 90s, you know, comic shops were a regular thing. The direct market was quite a thing. These were intended to be in newsstands and supermarkets and drugstores and things, you know, of that nature to try and get kids into comics that way. Like the old days. Right, like the old days. And I, I think some of these I even got from places like that if I remember correctly. But that was the initial idea, was to go to to those areas, as well as the direct market. When it all started, when the impact line first began in 1991, they started out with five titles. The Legend of the Shield, The Comet, The Fly, The Jaguar, and The Web. Now, they were all very different this time around. They really took some liberties. They they basically kind of started from scratch. Gone were all of the old ideas of the magic ring for the fly. Gone was the idea of the hangman and the comet being brothers. Unlike all the other relaunches up to this point, this one did not connect. Now, granted, the other ones didn't necessarily connect seamlessly. <laughs> well, I don't think it probably could if they were two different companies. And that might have been what they were thinking, yeah, that they were thinking, well, since it's not technically with Archie, it's technically with us now, we probably should do something very different. There were a few similarities, though. There were a few things that were kept. We'll start off with Legend of the Shield, because that was the first book that came out. And I still remember getting that book off the rack. I remember get you getting that book. Oh, man, it was so pretty. And I, I to this day, I look at that book, and it just, it oh, it just the, jumps. The cover pops, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a good good cover and and the book is very good too. It's extremely well drawn, I I believe. But uh, they kept the idea that the shield is Joe Higgins. Mm -hmm. It is the only secret identity that remains the same from Impact to all of the other ones. Now in this, it's all modernized. We're no longer in the 40s. We're not connected to anything in the 60s. And so the shield this time around is a soldier who, along with four other men, there's five in total, go through a series of tests to see who is going to get to wear the shield armor and be the first of essentially a new breed of super soldier. And he ends up being picked. He ends up being picked because his father is the general who is <laughs> heading up the whole, the whole thing. And, of course, the father is, you know... He does him dirty. Yeah, he does, yeah. He, he's, of course, the villain of, of the run of the series. Uh, he's an unsavory, you know, manipulative kind of character who uh, basically demotes his son so that there was some weird rule. Do you remember that? There was some re weird rule that you worried? couldn't wear the armor or you couldn't be shield if you were above a certain rank. Something like <laughs> For that. For some reason. Yeah. I'm not sure why. So to get around it, his, his father demoted him. He, he sets up like this fake encounter or something that never really happened right right it's like a frame up yeah and pins it all on joe and joe gets gets the boot kicked to him so that he would now be the correct rank to wear the shield armor like okay whatever papa thought he had a lackey i i guess i guess immediately in the first issue the shield discovers that you know there's all these dirty dealings going on he unfortunately witnesses the accidental killing of his best friend and he goes on quotations. Yeah, accidental. yeah, quote, yeah, quote, yeah, quotations on the accidental there. And he uh, he ends up going on the run, and takes the suit with him. So his book from then on it is almost very similar to the old Incredible Hulk television show, where he runs from place to place, mm -hmm. always trying to to evade the general and 
arms installation is is the base of operations that's coming after him. <laughs> Love comic books and their acronyms. Yep, yep. We got another one coming up, oh, uh, yeah. but but before we get there, the next book that was launched was the Comet. I know the Comet is one of your favorites, correct? Yeah, like I always liked the way he looked, but he wasn't fly, which didn't attract me before. But going back and reading it, I really like the Comet. It's really interesting. It is, and they they really started off strong with that book, and it really was was exciting, and kind of mysterious in a in a sense. He was not John Dickering like he was in years past, and he was not from the planet Altrox, like he was in years past. This is totally new. He is a man named Rob Connors, who I think is, what, like 20 or 21? 20-something like baseball player. And he's a baseball player. Yeah, he wants to be a baseball player. He wakes up after being hit by lightning or something to that effect, if I remember right. There's an explosion at his parents' plant. It's a, like a observatory or something yes. up in like Alaska or yes. northern Your, California. Nor, uh, I think it's Michigan, isn't it? No, it's, it's upper northeast okay. or northwest. Oh, okay. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's up by Seattle in yeah. that area. You're right. I forgot. So, yes. Yeah, so, this this explodes, and then he, he wakes up, and suddenly he has powers, and his girlfriend, who is Victoria Johnson, the, the local television news reporter. There's always a reporter. There's always a reporter. I, I do find it interesting, though, that if he's only like 20 or 21, but she is like the primary news reporter in the area... You got to think that she's maybe 24, 25. I guess that's not that big of a difference now that I'm saying it Small out loud. town. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. So, never mind. Anyway, yeah, the the reporter is is his girlfriend and she's the one who convinces him to become a hero and yeah. become the comet. After yelling at him for being mysteriously missing for <laughs> yeah. months. Yeah. And that's something that kind of continues on throughout the book. She's consistently nagging him and yelling at him about various things and and Well, don't forget though, he was missing for months. That's and months. true. That's true. He was missing for a while. There was the initial event, and then he vanishes, and then he wakes up. When we're introduced to Rob at the beginning of the comic book, he wakes up and he thinks like a day has gone by. You're right. I completely forgot. And that is and that is a very important point to bring up when talking about the story of this comet, because that comes into play heavily later on in his run. The third and fourth books, which I, I want to say may have come out the same week, and if they didn't, I think I got them in the same week, would be The Jaguar and The Fly. Now, The Fly was fairly similar to the original Fly. He was no longer Thomas Troy. This time, he was Jason Troy. So we still kept the name, Troy, which was nice. And instead of a ring, it was now an amulet. With a little fly inside of it. Right. It was almost, I think he says in the first issue, it's a, it's almost like amber. Kind of like uh, the thing on Hammond's, oh. Hammond's uh, cane in Jurassic Park. Yes, very much like that, yeah. And he's not an orphan either in this incarnation. He ends up having to do this project for class where he is told by his teacher, Mr. Aubin, I believe the guy's name is. It was uh, something from the Middle East. I don't remember exactly what it was. I want to say it was, yeah, it was, it was something, something to that effect. Anyway, he is told that he has to come up with his own hero. That's the school project. And so he ends up coming up with this guy with wings who he calls, I think he calls him the Flyman? I think so, Or yeah. the Flyster, the Flyster. That That's was... what he calls him. He calls him the Flyster. He was a great name. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, his teacher is like, oh, well, this is amazing. This is great. Stay after school. I want to talk to you. And he's the one who gives him the amulet. Now, the next day, the teacher has been replaced by somebody completely different, and no one in school seems to remember the substitute mm -hmm. from before. So there's possibly some sort of magical connection there. We're not sure where this teacher came from. Was it some sort of mystical portal that he was whisked to where he lived out this day? We, we don't really know. We're not really told. I don't think we ever really find I don't think it ever, uh, yeah, I think it was probably something they intended to get to and just never did. Yeah, he, he basically, you know, he rubs the, the amulet and he wishes to be the fly and he turns into the fly. So still some similarities mm -hmm. to the original fly, although they changed the color scheme. They did. I actually prefer the impact color scheme. Oh, do you? The blue, do. The blue and yellow over um, the green and yellow? The only reason I prefer the blue and yellow over the green and yellow is you already have green and yellow in another character. Yeah, yeah, that's true, which, you know, we'll jump to here in just right. a, a second. But yeah, that's a good point. It that's just a, adds good point. a little variety. To the, to the line. Yeah, that's a good point. The other major change to a character was the other book, The Jaguar. Quite a bit different. Quite a bit different. This is one of the two massive changes that the initial launch of Impact did. Because the comet essentially still had the same 
basic concept. And the fly was still basically just like the fly, and the same with the shield. The jaguar this time around, unlike before, where the jaguar was Ralph Hardy, who had a belt that would turn him into the jaguar. And rocket packs. With his homemade rocket packs built onto the belt, because jaguars fly, I guess. (laughs) This time around, the jaguar is a college student, a college freshman by the name of Maria de Guzman. And uh, a college student who is accelerated, in fact. I think she's like 17 or 18. Also a uh, exchange student. Yes, that's right. She's an exchange student. I want to say from Brazil. Yes. I want to say she's Brazilian. She goes to this new school, and it's very difficult for her to kind of fit in. Well, Brazil to Michigan. Yeah, I guess so. That's the one that takes place. I knew, I knew there was one of them that was in Michigan. While she is there, she starts having these nightmares where it feels like she is some sort of cat-like woman. Hunting something. Hunting something at night. By the end of the first issue, she has completely manifested into the jaguar. And what you soon discover is that the jaguar is kind of a biological lineage that gets passed down. It's a biological spirit, almost, if you will, that gets passed down from generation to generation. The previous jaguar in her home was her aunt, Tia de Guzman. Well, at this point, she's notified that her aunt has died, which now explains why she is suddenly experiencing all this, because the power had to pass on. The essence moved. Right. And it moved to the next female Mm -hmm. in the line, because apparently in, in Impact, the Jaguar is always a female. We've done away completely with the belt idea. Yes. Um, and now it's it's much more uh, biological lineage. But she's very interesting. She's a very interesting character, and I have always liked this version of the Jaguar. I never used to like her because, I mean, as a kid, it was a girl superhero. Yucky. <laughs> Girls are yucky, right. Going back and rereading it, I really found myself drawn to this one. Yes, me too. And, and also, I would like to point out, too, at this point, that Dragonus Prime is not the only one who has gone back rereading this stuff. Obviously, we're all doing a lot of research, not just for these episodes, but for the fan film that we've been working on as well. But in rereading all of this stuff, I have been rereading the Impact line to create a reading order out of it this time. And I think this is my third or fourth time reading through it now. So once once that reading order is compiled, we will share that with you on our website as well. But yes, yeah, so it's been very interesting for me going through it this time, reading it and trying to find out the chronological reading order. And I have grown to Jaguar quite a bit more than I did before. Yeah, she was a lot cooler than I thought, and I am ashamed I didn't give her the credit she deserved. Yeah, yeah, very, very underrated, at least to... 10-year-olds and (laughs) 8-year-olds, you know. Then the fifth and final book of the launch was The Web. This is the changes I like the most. Do you really? Okay. second to uh, Black Hood. Okay, okay. What they did with The Web for Impact was they stated that in the 60s, there was a hero known as The Web. And as far as the public was aware, that was it. But what the public did not know is that that was actually a group of people and every time the web would show up, it was someone different. The web was actually the name of an agency, much like Marvel's S.H.I.E.L.D. And web stood for Wheaton Experimental Base. Or Wheaton Experimental Biological sometimes is, is the other what, acronym that's used. What was the Wheaton? You know, I don't recall if that was ever really mentioned or pointed out unless that was just the name of whoever started it i'm not sure um and going through it and rereading it this time i haven't come across that info i haven't either um if anyone out there knows if anyone out there was a big fan of the web during impact head on over to our social media accounts and and share that info with us let us know who wheaton was in the web web but yeah it's a web the the book starts out and Web, I guess, has been deactivated for years, and now they're restarting the company. They're restarting the agency. They're going to get the old guys back together (laughs) to train a group of three or four new guys, and they will this time pick one of them, and that person will be the Web. Right. And so the book primarily is all about training the next generation of the Web. So that's the idea that you like the best? That's the change that you're, you're um, most I into? Always, I always like the idea of them being a team, being a web of intelligence. Okay. I just, I don't know, it, it always fit the name. 
and it was a unique change and different. And a little bit Iron Man, too, like a team of Iron Man, because they all wear these yellow suits of armor that get power boosts. They contact their home base, and they request a power boost, and then then they have all these extra special abilities that the suit then at that point gives them. Gadgets and gizmos are plenty. That's that's right. Way to bring a, a Disney reference into a Mighty Crusaders podcast. So that's how it started out. And the book started out great, and all the characters were kind of on their own until I want to say it was around Legend of the Shield. I think it was issue four. It was either issue four or issue five. They introduce a new character. They bring back the Black Hood. He was cool looking. The Black Hood was pretty cool. Well, 90s cool. 90s cool, yes. Very much 90s cool. So in this, this time around, the Black Hood is no longer just a man. They kind of took the idea from the Red Circle retcon where they explained that the Black Hood had gone from generation to generation as as their version of the Jaguar has. Only this time, they've made it essentially like a cursed hood. So the book, The Black Hood, does not necessarily refer to the hero. It refers to... The hood. The hood, right. And when we meet the Black Hood, the Black Hood that we meet is a man named Wayne Sidmanson, <laughs> who looks like a Punisher 2099 reject, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I mean, he's got those, you know, those crazy, like, 90s giant shoulder pad chest piece thing. And I was going to say Asriel with a hood over, or a sack over his head. Yeah, Asriel would be a good one. There's clearly some cable influence yes. to this version of the Black Hood. But then, of course, he carries all these gigantic cable-style massive guns, and he's heavy. these guns. Yep, he's heavily, uh, you know, armed like the Punisher and has, you know, secret stashes of armories all over the place. And he got, starts going around and showing up in all of the books. And he wants to bring everybody together and form a team. The Superiors. The Superiors. <laughs> I'm not sure where they got that name, but okay, fine. Because his methods are a little more ruthless, nobody wants to work with him, except the Jaguar. Yeah, Jaguar was like, yeah, I could get yeah, down with this. When he shows up in her book, when he has a cameo in her book, she's like, oh, yes. But part of that is because Maria is new to America. She's she has no friends. So innocent. Yes, and so she's thinking, yeah, sure, you know, this guy's going to shoot people and kill people, but I have talons for fingers, so, you know, both weird, and maybe he's a friend. This all continues, and and the books start to connect in little ways. Villains show up in other books. By the way, I think when mentioning the villains, I think we should also mention that very, very, very few classic villains from any of the previous incarnations get reworked and used in impact. I can't think of hardly any. There are one or two that I've come across uh, that I think I missed when I was younger Arachnus. that I'm, I'm catching now. Well, Arachnus is one of the closest ones. Now, the Fly had a villain named Arachnus, which was a guy who was half man from like the waist up, and his body had this mechanical spider legs, almost like Mojo from X-Men. Doc Ock with no legs. Doc Ock, yeah, right, yes. You know, that's clearly supposed to be Spider Spry from the original, or the spider, depending on which run you're you're looking at and which run you're reading of the old Fly books. That's one of the few connections when it comes to the villains. There are a couple that come in later, but for the most part, that's it. Yeah, I don't even think Brain Emperor showed up. I don't think Brain Emperor ever showed up. Now, they did take some old heroes, from the old days, mm-hmm. and make them villains. The most recognizable being Inferno. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Inferno from the DC Red Circle line, which was uh, you know, a very different guy, but he was still a hero. This Inferno was like something out of Exo Squad's worst nightmare. Yeah, he if was you remember that cartoon show. Weird cyborg-like guy with all that was really left of him inside the Inferno robot was, I think, his head. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think just kind of neck up almost, or shoulders up. And he was armed like War Machine. <laughs> yeah, and he was gigantic, like the size of a Transformer almost. Yeah. And green. I don't know why he was green, but he was green. Yeah, you'd um, think Inferno, he'd be red. Yeah, red, yellow, something that denotes fire. But yeah, he was green. Another one that pops into my head, and, and we'll get into him in a little bit here when we start talking about the crossover, was Calathar which was a villain that was basically responsible for the Mighty Crusaders coming together in the Impact line. And Calathar was kind of this big, giant monster who would, like, 
grow to enormous size. Like a flesh-toned Hulk. Yeah, very much. Like a, like a flesh-toned Hulk 2099, <laughs> even. Very, yeah. I have to believe, and I don't know, it could have been, you know, coincidence, but I have to believe that that is in some way connecting back to the old MLJ 30s and 40s character, Calthar, without the A in the middle. So there's Calthar in the old ones and Calathar in Impact. And Calthar in the old stuff was a man, kind of a Tarzan-like man, who um, would grow in size and, and strength. But he was a hero. He was a good guy. I've never heard that before. He didn't last a long time, but you know he was certainly there in the MLJ roster. Well, when you're competing against Tarzan. Right, and Kazar and all the other characters Turok. at the time. Yeah. So yeah, so Calthar... You know, I have to imagine somehow inspired Kalathar. I mean, the names sound the same, and the guy is flesh-toned. and he, Savage. Savage, and he grows real big. I mean, it has to be some sort of a connection. But um, right. outside of that, I can't really remember too many. But even before Kalathar attacks, we got a, a very special book, The Impact Winter Special. And the, the Im- meeting. Yes, the, the first real time that these Impact characters all got together. And it was basically put out around Christmas time. The president of the United States has been kidnapped. Uh, the president at that time, by the way, was George H.W. Bush. It was 1991, guys. And um, so he is kidnapped, and the web is called in to fix the problem and, and try and get him back. And what the web decides to do is they reach out to these new superheroes that have emerged to help them. So everybody kind of comes together finally, and they all meet in this book. And, of course, they save the day. Shocker. Shocker, yeah. And then they all go their separate ways. After that, the Black Hood got his own book. Yeah. And this this is where the most shocking thing, I think, in all of Impact occurs. Blew my little mind. Uh, Yeah, I think blew all of our minds. The Black Hood gets his own comic, and Wade Sidmanson starts his quest to take down the evil gangster Pirate Blue. Yes. And her, her criminal underground. And as soon as he catches up to her and her lackey or her right-hand man, a a gangster by the name of Hit Coffee, Hit Coffee shoots him in the head, right in the eye, and kills him. First issue, ladies and gentlemen. And the hero gets shot in the eyeball (laughs) and is killed. So now at that point, Wayne Sidmanson, the Black Hood, is gone. Yeah. And he, his spirit joins all of the other Black Hoods who have come before. Went all Nedard Stark there. Yeah, yeah, really. It really did. <laughs> That's a good point. Long before George R. R. Martin impacted it first. <laughs> At that point, Pirate Blue tosses the hood to Hit Coffee and tells him, well, it looks like you're the new Black Hood. So he... Not immediately at that moment, but he will eventually become a Black Hood. He does wear the hood at some point. Yeah, I think he tosses it aside and some street rat who shows back up later picks it up. He tosses it aside and the young punk kid that Wayne Sidmanson kind of smacked around at the beginning of his issue, a young kid by the name of Nate Cray, he grabs the hood for a while he becomes the Black Hood. Like- Two or three issues. Two or three issues. He becomes the Black Hood before he tosses it away, and eventually it finds its way to to Hit Coffee. Again. Again, and Hit Coffee becomes the Black Hood. It kind of goes back and forth for a little while there. Hit Coffee, I I always thought was interesting. I always liked his costume. Clearly a Rob Liefeld-inspired costume. Oh, yeah. It looks like Kane meets Deadpool. That's a great... Yeah, that's a really good way to explain it. And part of that is because now, because Sidmanson was shot in the eye, now... The hood's left eye hole is ginormous. But because the Black Hood has these bizarre magical powers that allow you to instinctively know what you're supposed to do and be kind of heroic from all of those who have worn the hood prior, it has this red glow. So you never actually see the wearer's eyes under the hood. It's a complete full face mask. But now the left eye, for whatever reason, is now giant and it's now a giant red eye. And it stays that way pretty much throughout the rest of the run Mm -hmm. at that point because it's been torn. Now, the one thing that I I have learned in going back and rereading the Impact stuff at this point in time to put a reading order together, reading orders for these Crusaders books are very difficult to, to make. And we'll get into a little bit more of that later. But the reading order on this, I would say, probably puts the annuals in at this point. Now, the annuals were the first real major crossover. They're 
big crisis event. Well, not crisis, but it's not really. Cri- it it's it is a giant environmental event run by a villain by the name of Templar. Weird looking dude. Yeah, who I guess he's looking for the Grail, the Holy Grail, and of course everyone thinks it's the Holy Grail from Christ, but it's actually an alien artifact mm-hmm. that will. What is it? Something fix the Earth or something like that? It'll like destroy the Earth and repair it. That's that's right. That's right. But he thinks it'll also repair him. Right. So it's a little bit of a Thanos thing, but not really quite as interesting as that. So anyway, Templar is trying to cause all these these natural disasters around the world because by doing so, that will make the Grail's location known and he can find it. It also distracts any heroes and it also agents. Right, yes. So all of the annuals connect via this storyline. But the thing that is most interesting about these books is that each annual has two backup stories. And they're all different, mm-hmm. but for the most part, with the exception of the Black Hood annual, all of the other annuals, I think, for the most part, have a Black Hood backup story telling the story of one of the previous wearers of the hood throughout history. And there are some that are, some of them are tough to get through, and some of them are really cool. I love the Western one, because I'm oh, such a Western course, nut. Yes. I love that one. And I love the the first one, the kind of medieval one. That one was really cool. The one in France? Yeah. But then the other thing that they do is the other backup story is either stories on the history of Webb or members of Webb throughout the years from the 60s to now or backup stories on the American Crusaders. Now, at this point, people are probably like, wait a minute, what is that? What does that have to do with anything? Well, at this point in time, they really start building the history of the world of impact and they tell us that years ago and and they've kind of talked about it throughout but this is the first time you really get to see it years ago there were superheroes called the american crusaders and there was a shield Mm -hmm. and he had a sidekick dusty just like in the old comics what a horrible name (laughs) well it's from the 40s so what do you expect i think firefly Mm-hmm. was, you know, put in there eventually, although not at this point. But anyway, they, they really start using some of the lesser characters by saying that they were in the past, mm-hmm. and they were a part of the American Crusaders, who, at some point, vanished. Poof. And they were just gone. And now we've been without heroes until now. The great thing about these annuals is, if you don't get a Black Hood or a Web backup story, you get a backup story about the original S.H.I.E.L.D. through the years including a brief, a story about a, a brief shield in, what was it, the mid-80s, I think? Kind of a, a biker shield, I think he was. That uh, he, sounds about right. I think he, he went by the name of Shield Kid, but he, he looked like a biker dude with a leather jacket, and the way that he fought and the way that he attacked people, you could tell he took a lot of influence from Arnold Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren and Rambo and stuff like that from the 80s. I mean, there was clearly that influence, but... Um, that's the most interesting thing about those annuals is that you really kind of get a little bit more of the history of the world. From there, things continue to progress. They continue to build impact and they start the first line-wide, book-wide crossover, which is the coming of the Crusaders. (laughs) It runs seven issues, I want to say, connecting in all of the different titles, different issue, a different part in a different book. But I want to say that the final issue, issue seven, says to be continued in Crusaders number one. Yeah, because I remember right, that's part seven in the, the big right, build. Right. And that story culminates in Crusaders number three. They, they drop the mighty from the title. It's just the Crusaders. So really, if you think about it, it's actually a 10-part story, mm-hmm. if you think about it. It's during all of this that they introduce a new hero, Fireball, oh, who um, is very cool. He's a, obviously a pyro themed character he always reminded me of booster gold yeah i would say that human torch-esque yeah yeah and he ends up getting drawn into this coming of the crusaders to deal with calathar and all of that by the end of it the crusaders decide that they will form and the crusaders team that we get in impact is the shield the fly the jaguar and fireball black hood at that time 
is Hit Coffee, I believe. I think he was that for like maybe one or two issues of Crusaders. Right, yeah, and I think he he doesn't want to have anything to do with the team because he's gone, and the Crusaders don't realize that it's always a different guy under the hood, so they don't know any better. The Comet is dealing with enough problems of his own because here's kind of where things get weird at impact. Uh, From what I understand, sales were not where they wanted to be. And rather than trying to let it progress and find its way, they immediately started making changes. Creative teams started shifting and leaving, and as we all know in the comic book world, when you start doing that as a knee-jerk reaction to sales, stories start to suffer. Mm-hmm. And Impact, unfortunately, was no stranger to that. The Comet started going into this whole thing where he was actually an alien. Evil alien. An too. evil alien who had somehow assumed the body of Rob Connors and it got very convoluted towards the end. Turned um, into a bad guy? Yeah, he kind of turned into a, a villain, which I guess in a sense kind of harks back to the original 40s stuff where he was a wanted hero, but he was still a hero back then. The shield, Joe Higgins gets rid of the shield armor yeah. and one of the other four guys that tried to become the shield at the very beginning, Stephen Barnes, takes over. Stephen Barnes, I think, if I remember correctly, dies in a horrible explosion, and he's incinerated. Mm -hmm. What that does is that has to force Joe back out of pseudo-retirement. And keep in mind, guys, these books hadn't even hit issue 15 yet, and we've already got heroes going into retirement. We're already messing with the status quo. That can't be good for sales. That's very difficult to keep, keep up on things. They laid the groundwork and decided, oh, wait, I need a basement. Yep. This continues on, sales are dropping, they, they eventually decide they're going to cancel the whole line. They're going to shut the whole thing down, and they do. Mm-hmm. Impact ends up canceling. I think Comet and Fly ran the longest. I want to say they both hit around issue 17 or 18. Uh, no other book in the Impact line got that far. What they followed it up with was a six-issue miniseries called Crucible. Crucible was intended to be the jumpstart for Impact Phase 2. Soft boot. So what they were going to do now was they were going to reboot the line. The Crusaders, our four Crusaders, at the end of their book had gone missing in space, and they were never to be heard from again. In Crucible, they were going to be brought back. And actually, I had read at one time the Crucible book was supposed to be a Crusaders ongoing book that would just focus on the four of them lost in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think would have been a really interesting book. It could have been really good, and then you could have brought them back if sales picked up and and gotten in touch with everybody on Earth. But no, instead, the Crucible followed Black Hood, Nate Cray Black Hood. He's older now. It took place a number of years later, if I want to I think that's correct, yeah. The Crusaders end up coming back in that story. The Comet, who we were led to believe died at the end of his series, has now returned, and he's gone crazy, and he's... He's just off his rocker, and he's trying to prove that he's he's a good guy. And at the same time, there's a new shield running around, and it turns out that it's Stephen Barnes, who is back as the shield. Only he's horribly disfigured and on crutches, and he's a, he's a paraplegic until he hits some magic button or steps through a magic doorway. I can't remember which it Using is. Using the blah blah device. <laughs> yeah, basically. And and then it makes him the shield, and then he goes back to being disabled Stephen Barnes. You know, you got to admit, though, that is a much better secret identity than just, like, reading glasses. <laughs> or a pencil-thin mustache that disappears when you become the Jaguar. Yeah. Right. So this Crucible book was intended to relaunch Impact under Impact Phase 2. And they were starting off with three books. The Mark of the Black Hood... The Wrath of the Comet, and The American Shield. Those were going to be the three books. And then eventually a fourth book would be added to that list called Forging Steel. And that book would focus on a character that was introduced in Crucible, Impact's version of Steel Sterling, who never really gets an origin. No, he's just kind of there. They say at one point that he was a, a steel worker, I think, or something, a construction worker or something, something like that. Exactly. Now he's a, a bodyguard, I think, and after a, an accident that gave him this steel-like body that is kind of metal men-like, but it's, yeah, it's weird. By, I think it was issue one or issue two of Crucible hitting the stands, pre-orders and sales were not good, and the team got the word that 
we're going to cancel it. We're not going ahead with phase two. The whole thing's coming down. Rewrite issue six. Because nothing's better than throwing everything out the window at the last minute. Right. The writer, who I would like to add was Mark Wade, had to go back and rewrite issue six so that the series, the entire line, had an ending to it. And I have heard that he, he has said something to the effect of that being one of the, the worst books he's ever written and one of the most difficult jobs he's ever had to do to wrap up an entire line in one book like that. And with that, Impact was over. This amazing line that had started out so critically acclaimed and so different and had, tra- had attracted a whole new generation of comic fans was done. They didn't give it the time that it needed to find its way. It was not long after that that a few small attempts were made to bring the characters into the limelight, the biggest one being producer Michael Uslan, who people will know as the producer of the original Swamp Thing film, the producer of every single Batman-related movie from the 1980 Batman movie to now, including Justice League and Batman vs. Superman, but I'm sure he probably wants to keep those off of his record, Michael Uslan acquired the rights along with director Robert Zemeckis, who people will probably recognize as the director of the Back to the Future movies and Forrest Gump, just to name some of his big ones. And they were going to make The Fly. Seriously? Seriously. The Fly was going to be made into a film, and there is concept art out there. I've seen it. It's interesting. It's kind of a weird mix between the classic green and yellow fly, the impact blue and yellow fly, and the rubber suit superhero thing that was going on in the late 80s and early 90s. It was also, I believe, meant to be slightly satirical towards superhero movies. We're talking like uh, Adam West Batman satirical? I don't know that they necessarily intended it to go that far. I don't even know if they necessarily intended it to go as far as something like Meteor Man. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that they even intended it to go to that extreme, but I think it, it was meant to be more of a kid's film and more satirical. Here's, here's the real shocker, and I, and I do not know if the story revolved around a young boy who turned into the fly, or if it was more like the Mighty Comics and Red Circle era stuff where it was an adult who just became another adult as the fly. If anyone knows, please share that info with us on uh, Facebook for sure, if not any other social media platform. But the original actor that they had been talking to, and apparently he was very excited about it to play the fly, was Will Smith. Wait, really? I wish everyone out there right now could see Dragonus Prime's face right now because it it's like the gears in his head just exploded. I, I think I might, to coin a Transformers phrase here, I may go into stasis lock on that. <laughs> yeah, apparently he uh, he was very excited about it. There there was even apparently a rumor at one time that Chris Rock was attached. But I, I've I've since read that, that that was just a rumor. That was not an actual thing that happened. So did this script end up becoming like Hancock? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think the whole thing kind of stalled and fizzled. And, you know, as so many projects in Hollywood do, <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. Right, of Frankenstein. <laughs> now, it was after that that the Joe Simon estate stepped in. And they wanted to retain the rights to all of their original characters, as as so many other major estates at that time did. I think the right. Siegel and Schuster estates did the same thing with Superman, and it, it happened a lot at that time. And they won. Well, I mean, a lot of the comic companies weren't giving them their due rights, too. A- absolutely, absolutely. They, they deserve to get the recognition and maybe a little bit of that uh, financial kitty that the other, sure. you know, that the companies were getting off of their work. So the Simon Estate won. They won the rights back to The Fly and Lancelot Strong. Now, at this point, all of the Mighty Crusaders' rights since Impact had ended had reverted back to Archie. Archie now had the publishing rights back for all of them, but now they've lost The Fly and Lancelot Strong. Not Fly Girl, just Fly. 
Which was a big one. Lancelot the, Strong is Yeah, I mean they're both they're both kind of big. I mean Lancelot Strong didn't come around until the fifties. He wasn't there at the beginning and he wasn't there at impact, but he was there for a good twenty, thirty years. The fly is certainly a real big one. Right. I believe, and anyone out there that knows differently can correct uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the deal was, like so many other deals, that if Archie decided to pay a certain fee or a certain amount, they could continue to use the characters. They just had to give credit, much like you would see in a DC comic now, where it says Superman appears courtesy of Siegel and Schuster. So I think that the the deal included something to that effect, if I if I remember reading correctly, as well as reproduction rights. Hmm. They did retain rights to do reproductions and reprints of any of the stuff that they had done during Mighty Comics or Red Circle or Radio Comics runs. So, you know, that's why since then we have gotten a fly graphic novel that has the first four issues because they do have the ability to do that. But they lost the fly. And from what I understand, Archie was not willing to pay the fees that the other companies would pay for someone like Superman or Batman or some of the bigger characters out there. So at this point in time, we are now into about the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, somewhere in that area, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Fly and Lancelot Strong are gone. Impact has ended. The Fly film is done. And these characters are pretty much dead once again. It's a dead universe once again. Until... A few years later, when we get a new book taking inspiration from the DC animated series, like Batman and Superman and Justice League. But we'll get to that in the next episode. And that's where we want to ask all of you, what was your favorite aspect of the Impact Comics run? Did you have a favorite character? Did you have ideas on how you thought it should have ended? Or... Do you have ideas on how you think it should have continued? Go to our website at mybigfatpolis.com and let us know. An impactful influence. Now, when talking about influence on these comics, the way we have with all of the comics in the past few episodes for this series, it's a little bit different. These books did not make major influences to the comic book industry on a whole as, say, the original MLJ stuff or the Mighty Comics era. Well, a lot had been done by this time. Right. These were now drawing influence from other comics. It was now kind of the, the pendulum had swung the other way. But two major things that did come out of the Impact line that was very much influenced by the Impact line, number one, a whole new generation of fans yes. for the Mighty Crusaders. I mean, Dragonus Prime and myself are living testament to that, but there is a whole generation of people out there who, like us, were first exposed to these characters via Impact Comics mm-hmm. and have since gone back and gotten the old stuff and kept up with the new stuff. But those books successfully secured a new generation of fans for these characters who could have very easily died out. Yeah, they could have gone the way of any of those old 40s characters that you never heard of. Easily, easily. So that's a big thing. And obviously, you know, that has helped people like us, you know, Mm -hmm. with the fan film that we're working on, and hopefully we can bring them to life now as well. But the other major influence that the comic book world got out of these books was the staff of creators that were cutting their teeth on this line of books is incredible. Now, blew my mind when I went back and read them recently. Yes, yeah, me too. And and some of the names that I've seen pop up as I'm rereading them on fill-in issues or annuals or things Mm -hmm. like that are people that are legendary names now. And not all of these people were unknowns when they did Impact, They just weren't the big, big names. Right. They just weren't the marquee players at the time. People like Mark Wade, who we've mentioned, who I I can't remember exactly what titles Mark Wade had his hands in, but I know he had his hands in a lot of it. I know he did The Shield. Right. And The Comet, I want to say. Yes. You know, and he was he was around for pretty much the majority of the run because he even, as I said earlier, you know, helped run and script the uh, the Crucible miniseries and the the relaunch of Phase Two. But there were other names too. Does the name Brian Augustine ring any bells to anyone? 
he was cutting his teeth on these books. An artist who is maybe not necessarily a huge legendary name right now, but he certainly has a lot of clout at this point in time, Rick Burchett. Mike Parabek as well. Mike Parabek was my favorite. Mike Parabek unfortunately passed away at the age of, I want to say, 34. Very young. Complications of health. Yes, yes. And uh, he was the artist on the fly. I believe he got his start a little bit prior to that on El Diablo at DC for a, a run. But after Impact, he went on to draw the Batman Adventures book, which mm-hmm. was the first animated series book based on the, the Batman and the Animated Series, which was a wonderful book. And incidentally, that run holds the first appearance in comics of Harley Quinn. So while Bruce Tim created Harley Quinn, Mike Parabek is the guy that first drew Harley Quinn in comics. And, uh, and I think he did the JSA relaunch for a while. And so, yeah, Mike Parabek, he was, he was always my favorite. But there's, there's more than just that. Jimmy Palmiotti, early in his career, worked on a lot of these books. I was not aware of that. I might have overlooked that name. Yeah, his name shows up in a lot. And another name that, that doesn't necessarily show up a lot in the run, but was heavily involved in Crucible, especially in layouts and covers, is Joe Quesada. Yeah, and I, I, do know I that. think everybody knows who that is, right? Name rings a bell. Yeah, but there are other names. The one that jumps to my mind right now, uh, only because I recently read it the other day, is one of the annuals, and I, I don't now recall off the top of my head, but I want to say it's the Jaguar annual. The Jaguar story is drawn by a young Scott Collins. Now, Scott Collins, over the years, made a name for himself as being one of Jeff Johns's regular go-to artists on The Flash during Johns's run of The Flash and most recently has joined DC again and taken over various different runs of The Flash during the Rebirth line hmm. that's going on currently. You know, a lot of these guys got their start and began. Uh, another huge name to to think about as I'm I'm reminded by Mr. Dragonus Prime here is I'm going to butcher the I would last say name. both of us would probably butcher this Lynn name. Lynn Strzeski. Strzeski, Strzewski, and I'm terribly sorry, Lynn, if you are, are out there and you are listening. I'm terribly sorry if we've butchered your name. But yes, he handled the fly. Mm-hmm. I want to say, didn't he handle the Black Hood too, I think? Uh, he, like Wade, had his hands in a lot of this run. Yeah, I think him and Wade were running it. Yeah, and he, uh, he his stuff was great. I mean, the fly was just one of the best. So... As far as influences go from this line, those are kind of the biggest, really. I don't think it influenced any storylines in comics. Uh, the only thing I could maybe think of, and this is a stretch, is uh, the American Crusaders eventually at some point meeting up with the Crusaders, and you have kind of a JSA, JLA type of legacy thing. Yeah, and that could have been something that could have happened, and I know that um, you know they had talked about it. Yeah, I can't really think of too much else that would be influenced by these guys. Well, like we said, a lot of it had already been done. A lot of it had already been done, yeah. Other than the whole new generation who had been exposed to them, and now for many in that generation, this is what they think of when they think of the Mighty Crusaders. And now you, the listener, has been exposed to the Impact Era of Comics. Yeah, how about that? Retrospective Review on Impact Comics. The first thing that we always try to answer in this segment is how can people read these books today? Sadly, these books have never been reprinted or collected in any collected editions anywhere other than through various piracy and and non-legal ways. There really probably aren't many scans out there. Maybe the Archie app might have some of it, or the Dark Circle app, which I think was a thing for a while. I'm not sure if it still is, but that might be a way. Otherwise, really, getting a hold of these books and reading them, back issue bins, man. 25 cent boxes. (laughs) They're actually probably about dollar boxes now. And I know because I've bought this run, you know, almost twice over the years now, and I, I seem to be buying it again. I can't help myself. You can buy me a set. Oh, can I? I cannot help myself. Every time I come across these books in a dollar bin, I have to buy them. <laughs> I just love them so much. It looks like uh, if any of you listeners subscribe to Comixology, they are on Comixology. Oh, are they? They're on Comixology. Okay. Just pulled it up. I see at least Shield and Black Hood on here. Okay, well, there you go, guys. Some of these titles, at least, would be on Comixology, so if you have that, certainly check them out. As far as how well the stories hold up, now, I don't know about you, Prime, but... 
I still think even the stuff that dips at the end, I still think it is all extremely enjoyable. It is very much a 90s comic, though, having said that. Yes, it has that 90s over the top. Every book is fairly the same feel to it. In your face, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But I think these ones actually find a neat way to do it. And I think a lot of the thing that really helps these ones do it, too, is you don't have to know a whole bunch of history to know these characters. Yeah. In fact, guys, the entire Impact run takes up one half box of comics. One half box. It doesn't exceed that. You can get an entire universe, because again, it doesn't connect to anything that came before, in one half box of comics. Your own little pocket universe. Yeah. And again, a dollar a book, two dollars a book, tops. I mean, you're not going to spend a lot on these, and they're worth it, especially if you like 90s comics. Yeah. You're talking maybe 70 issues total. Yeah. And yes, it dips down in quality towards the end. I don't believe, personally, having just reread the Red Circle line and the Mighty Comics line, I don't feel that these dip in quality as much as those dipped in quality towards their end. But again, we do seem to be having a running theme here. After the only two I've read of this and the DC Red Circle later on, I would definitely choose this one over the DC later one. Oh, would you? And yeah. those were only, what, 10 years ago or yeah. so? So those are fairly recent And in, don't get me wrong, J. Mike, J. Michael Straczynski is a phenomenal writer. Sure. But uh, I think that they, well, you're, you're dealing with a universe where you have too much history because they were ingrained and interweaved into the DC heroes. Right. I think you and I are probably both in agreement that we just we love this impact line mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we just can't get enough of it. And I, I strongly suggest everyone to check them out. But don't forget and ignore the stuff that came before. Even if this is the line that you like and this is the line that you want to collect, know where these characters have come from prior to. Well, that's it. Dragonus Prime, you have gone through the history of impact with me. We hope you enjoyed this visit with the Impact Era of Comics during our fourth episode. But don't forget, join us for our fifth and final entry to this podcast miniseries as we unpack the last 25 years worth of MLJ revamps and relaunches going all the way up to the current Dark Circle line and dare to predict the future. I am your host, Dr. Impact. I am your guest host, Dragonus Prime, and thank you for having me on, Dr. Impact. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. And until our next crusade, stay mighty, folks. We have reached the end of this verbal adventure, but there will be more. Be sure to bag and board the knowledge you have been given in the long boxes of your mind. Safe from the dust bunnies of memory. Visit mybigfatpollist.com for all of their four-color content and follow their social media pages to stay informed. And remember, the secrets of the universe are between the panels. Much like you would see in a DC comic now, where it says Superman appears courtesy of Jerry Siegel and or Joe, uh, you know. Jerry Ordway. No. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's <good>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh huh. And we hope that all of you have enjoyed this fist. <laughs> Damn. Yes. We, I hope, we hope you've enjoyed this fist in your ass. <laughs> Visit and show. Oh, okay. <laughs> we hope you enjoy this impactful fist up your butt.